We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're continuing, of course, our study of the nation of, of Israel as seen through the eyes of David. He's the second king of the nation of Israel. It's really a sad time, and I, I'm going to put this up on the board. It's a time of civil war. It's division. It's conflict. There's death. There's sorrow. There's defeat. The nation is in turmoil. If you remember, Saul and Jonathan are dead. Saul was the first king. Jonathan was his son. nation's been defeated by the Philistines. David's been anointed by king as the king of Israel over the tribe of Judah only. The rest are following one of Saul's sons by the name of Ishbosheth. So everything is in turmoil. And this nation, I mean, this morning, we're going to continue to see the nation in civil war. And we see that David is gaining power over the king, as the king. But we're going, to see, we're going to see some things that, as we look at it, it's really sad because we're going to see what men are really like, what we're like, weakness, sin, anger, pride, vengeance. We're going to see it as we go through this. We're going to see it in the actions of, and we would say, Joab and Abner and even David. And as we look at this, we realize that we're all capable of any sin. And and you look at these lives and we say, well, they did some bad things. The truth is this, every one of us in this room could do some bad things. If we said many times, you put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we would do the wrong thing. First Corinthians 10 says, take heed lest you think you stand, that you fall. So we're going to see this. And so as we look at 2 Samuel, we'll see some, some great truths this morning. Well, as we start, we all know the story of Adam and Eve and the fall. And there they are in the garden. God set them in there, told them they could eat from everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. And the day they eat it, they will die. As you remember, Satan came in the form of a serpent and tempted tempted them. And he raised some questions. He said something like this. He says, has God said? He wanted them to doubt God. He said, has God said that you can't eat from all the trees? Why not? Does he not love you? Has God said that you will die? You will not die. Is Is God not telling you the truth? He's not. And so as we saw that passage, as you think about what it is, we see that Satan attacked in, in a twofold way. He wanted them to doubt God's love, and he wanted them to doubt God's word. In fact, he said this, if God really loved you, wouldn't he let you eat from all the trees? And if God, God is not telling you the truth, because in the day that you eat that, you will not die. And so what he did, he wanted them to doubt God's love and word. And that's the same thing, thing for us. He wants you to doubt that God loves you. When we do wrong, when we sin, when we mess up, when we don't do all the things we should, we feel like, well, maybe God doesn't love us. And Satan says, no, he doesn't love you. He never has really loved you. And now that you're not doing right, he doesn't love you. And then he wants us to doubt God's word because some people will say, well, this is accurate, but, well, we don't know. There wasn't really a Jonah, and and the Red Sea didn't part. And, And so he wants you to say, yeah, some of the Bible's true, and some of the Bible's not true. That's what he wants you to doubt, God's love, and he wants you to doubt God's word. Well, we see what happens. Uh, they basically said, well, wait a minute. Uh, he's, he may be lying to us, and we should eat anything. In fact, if we eat that, we'll be like God. We'll know right from wrong. We'll be like God. We'll be, we'll be everything. And the whole issue was pride. Pride caused the fall. Pride caused the fall of Satan. Pride caused the fall of mankind. In fact, pride is the cause of the fall of man. And since that time, the greatest pull in our lives is the whole idea of pride. In fact, I think all sin, I mean, every sin you do goes back to the aspect of pride because we say, I deserve it, or it's right for me, or this shouldn't be. No, I, I, this is for me. And what, what it boils down to is pride is back of everything that we do that's actually wrong. So this morning, we're going to see pride. We're going to see pride in action in Abner and in David. You know, I love, I love David. I love King David. One of these days we're going to get there and we'll be able to say, Dave, you were great, especially with the Goliath thing. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, we're, we're going to see him and talk to him. So I love David. 
And it's hard to even say anything negative. But when the scripture talks about it and we see David's pride, even in this one, and we see Abner's pride, and we see how that ties together, it really grips us. So we need to learn from this passage. Let me remind you again where we are. The nation has been defeated by the Philistines. The uh, King Saul is dead. David's supposed to be the king. He's been set apart by God to be the king. The nation comes together. Basically, the tribe of Judah anoints him. I can put that back up there. The, the tribe of Judah anointed David to be the king, but he's not been made king over the rest of the people. And in fact, a man by the name of Abner, who was Saul's general, takes one of Saul's sons who didn't get killed. His name was Isbosheth, and he puts him as the king. And so now there's this division. There's David in the tribe of Judah, and everybody's saying David's the king. And then over here, you've got Saul's men, Saul's people in the northern part of Israel, and they're all saying that Ishbosheth is the king. And so you've got this civil war going on. Now, we could say, well, wait a minute. Everybody knows David's supposed to be the king. God already said through Samuel, through everything else, that David's supposed to be the king. But we've realized that sometimes even what God's plans are, that they don't always, they're not always smooth as the way we look at them. Sometimes there's issues. And so David has been selected. It, 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 and here's the truth. It will be seven years before David becomes the king over all of Israel. As we get ready to start, let me, I'm going to give you the four names of people that you make sure you, we know and understand. The first one is, of course, David. He's been anointed as king by Samuel, been anointed as king by the tribe of Judah. David is a man after God's own heart. He's a great man. We're going to see, we're going to see some problems in his life, and we're going to see a couple of things even this morning. And then Joab is David's general, and he is a very powerful man. He's actually David's nephew, and he is the general and we'd say it this way, you want Joab on your side. Joab can be ruthless, so you want him on your side. The third guy is Abner. He's actually the general who served under Saul. Saul is now dead. Abner is afraid he's going to lose his position. One of the things that Abner realizes that if David becomes the king, Joab will be the general. Abner wants to be the general. So we're going to see what he does. And then the last name is a man named Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth is Saul's son. He was not killed in the battle. And, and I hate to say something negative about, about him, but he's a very weak person. He should never have been king. He wasn't wanted to be king. The only reason he's king is because Abner put him in the position and told everybody he's going to be the king. The real power is Abner. Abner does what he wants to do, and, and Ishbosheth listens and does whatever Abner tells him to do. Ishbosheth would not want to be the king. And so we've got a civil war with Ishbosheth and Abner on one side and David and Joab and his men on the other side. And so we're going to see what happens. As we get to chapter 3, we're going to see the war is turning toward David. Let me give you the outline. Where the, the Chapter 3, verse 1 is just talking about the war. 2 through 5, we saw those verses last week. We see David's wives plural, and his sons that are born while he's at Hebron. And then we see Abner aids David. Now, wait, you stop and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abner is on the other side. Abner wants to be the general, and Abner has got Ishbosheth as king. What do we mean Abner aids David? Well, we'll see what happens as we look at our passage. Well, the battles have started. The war has already started. In the very first battle, David only lost 20 men. Saul's house lost 360 men, and we realize that the reason why is David has his mighty men fighting. If you remember, David had 600 men called his mighty men, 
and they were amazing. They stayed with him in the wilderness. They've been with him for three to four to five years. They're rugged. They're great fighters. And when the battles come, they just wipe out Saul's people or basically Abner's people and Ishbosheth's people. And so they're winning the war. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Look what it says. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. So what we find is David is growing stronger. They're winning. They've got the mighty men. They're winning the battles. And if the war continues for any length of time, David's going to be victorious. And we already know that David's supposed to be the king anyway. Now, verses 2 through 5, if you remember, we saw those last week, and it was a listing of David's sons that were born at Hebron. But the problem is, we know that David was married to Michael. Michael was Saul's daughter. Saul took her away from David. Now, David is now married. Uh, uh, we know of a woman named Abigail, but he's also married to a woman uh, by the name of Hinnom. We don't, know who, we don't really know who she is. So let's look at the passage real quickly as we go through it, and you'll just notice something here. Chapter, t- uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 says, Sons of David were born at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Hinnom and the Jezreelites. We know who she is. We've heard of her. We don't know how he married her. His second... Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. We know how he married her. She was the one that kept him from killing Nabal. When Nabal died, David married her. Uh, Then the third is called Absalom, who's the son of Micah. We don't know who she is, except she's the daughter of Telmai, the king of Geshur. That's a city. And then the fourth, he has another son named Adonijah. He's the son of Hagith. We don't know who Hagith is. The fifth is named Shephtah, and then she's, he's the son of Abital. We don't, we don't know who she is. The sixth son is Ethrim by David's wife, Eglot. We don't know who she is. We don't know how he got these wives. We don't know where they came from. Now, we have to say this. Is it right that he would have these many wives? And we would say, no, it's not. We know that the culture, the culture of the day, that when kings took power, they took a lot of women. They took wives. A lot of them were alliances, but some of them were just wives. And we could say this, that even though that's the culture, that doesn't mean it's right. And David is doing something that is really wrong. And see, we think about our culture. There's things that our culture does that says they're right when we know they're not right. They're wrong from the Scripture. So anyway, David has, and if we look at this passage, he has six different wives. We're not even counting Michael yet. He's number seven. So he actually has seven wives. And what we talked about, uh, that this is going to be a problem for David. And if you ask, look at his life and you say, what's David's life? You'd say, he's amazing. He fought Goliath. He's a great leader. He knows the Bible. He writes songs. He can do everything. Except when it comes to this area, he seems to have a weakness with these women. And later on, you know, with Bathsheba, we're going to find that's going to happen later on. And, we, and, and here, here's something I want you to think about. We'd say, well, that's, that's David's weakness. What about your weakness? What about my weakness? We, 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 we must know our weaknesses and protect ourselves. Every one of us in this room, you put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we're going to do the wrong thing. There are areas in each one of our lives that we... Can, if we're tempted in it, we, we could easily fall because it's our weakness. There's some things we'd say, ah, that never bothers me. You know, temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. But sometimes we're tempted. And in some temptations, you could say, that's no big deal. Some temptations, you'll fall every time. That's your weakness. So we got to be really careful. And so we must know our weaknesses and protect ourselves. And that's one of the keys to growing. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 says, take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. Be careful. Don't ever say, I would never do that. You don't know what you do in the wrong place at the wrong time. So 
As David has weaknesses, we could say to ourselves, we've all got weaknesses. We need to deal with those, and we need to stay away from those, and we need to not put ourselves in situations where we could fall. Well, let's see what's going on. Here we go. Verse 6, it came about that while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now, I could just read that verse and go on, but there's, there's uh, some hidden things there. Let me, let me just raise a couple of points just for a second. Is why, why is even Abner helping Saul's family? Well, a couple of reasons. It could be that he's loyal to Saul because Saul was, he was the king and he was the general and now Saul's dead. But it's also his chance to have power. I want you to see that we're going to look. This man is a man of pride. He wants power. He knows that if Ishbosheth is king, he will have all the power because he tells Ishbosheth what to do. He knows if David becomes the king, Joab will be the general. And he doesn't want that to happen. So he is a man of pride. We're going to see this now. Look at this verse because if you read it quickly, you may miss something. Look what this says. Verse 6 again, it came about that while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. What, what does that mean? What was he doing? Well, the way you're going to find out is read the next verse. Look what it says. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizbah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now, let's stop for a second and talk. What is a concubine? Concubine is a woman that she's not a wife. And in, in, in that time that you could marry somebody, she'd be your wife. You could also have slaves. A concubine was sort of a halfway, a, sort of a wife and sort of a slave. She was never really married to the person, but she was more than a slave. She usually stayed in the household. It was someone that the king had sexual relations with, never was married to them. That's, that, that's why they were called concubines. It says here that Ishbosheth came to Abner and said, why have you, and he says, let me put it the words, why have you gone into my father's concubine? He says, you've had sex with one of Saul's concubines. Now, to do that was actually to say, I'm taking over the kingship. I'm taking what belonged to the king, and I'm using it. So, Abner is showing his power. That's why when that verse says, verse 6, that he's making himself strong in the house of Saul, he's taking these women. And so Ishbosheth comes to him and says, what do you think you're doing? You're not supposed to have that woman. You're not supposed to do that. I mean, that's only the king's women. See, Ishbosheth's the king. He's actually saying, what do you think you're doing? You're, you're having sex with one of the women that actually belongs to me. Well, Abner is not a nice person. Watch what happens. Verse 8, then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends, and I have not delivered you in the hands of David, and yet today you charge me with a guilt concerning the woman. Now he basically says, Who do you think you are? You come to me and you say, I shouldn't have sex with this woman? Uh, listen, you're just lucky I haven't turned you over to David. I, the only reason you're king is because I let you be king. I've been showing friendship. And look, look what he actually says. He says, who do you think you are? And who do you think I am? He's saying, I'm the king around here. I'm the boss around here. You may be the king because you're the king because I put you being the king. But I can do whatever I want to do. Do you see the pride of this man? 
He says, you think I'm a dog's head that belongs to Judah? What he says that is, you think I'm nothing and I'm helping Judah? He's not helping Judah. He's helping himself. He's rule, he wants to rule and he wants to rule through Ishbosheth and he does whatever he wants to do and Ishbosheth challenges him and says, you shouldn't have been with that woman. And he says, who do you think you are to come question me about what I do? That's what he's doing. And so he's really, really mad. And by the way, we're seeing men at their worst, right? It's the flesh. And listen, we all know that we've got the flesh. We know the moment we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're born again, we're a new creation. We have the Holy Spirit come to live in us. Where we, are, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we're alive in Christ, but we still have the flesh. We still have the natural bent to sin to pull us away. And as we wake up every morning, we live in a fallen world which is controlled by Satan, and this world affects us, it tempts us. There's a, the, as James says, that the, the temptations come, and then our, our flesh follows it, and we sin. And so we got to be really careful, and we see right here this whole battle and this pride issues. And watch what he says. Watch what he says he's going to do. And, and here's what I put up here. I said, in anger, in Abner's anger, he has this plan. Watch his plan. Verse 9, may God do so to Abner, and more also, if the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. What he basically says, I'm going to make David king. You've made me so mad. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what God really wants, and that's for David to be king. Everybody knew that, by the way. He said, I'm going to do what God wants to happen. I'm going to make David the king from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was the northern part of Israel. Beersheba was the southern part of Israel. So he's basically saying, I'm going to make David the king from the north to the south. David's going to be the king of Israel, and I'm going to do it. I want you to see this. He says, I'm going to make David king. This is pride. He said, I made you king. I'm going to make David king. Let me ask you something. Who raises up kings and sets down kings? It's not, Ish, it's not, it's not Abner. It's God. God is the one that raises up kings and sets down kings. He's saying, I made you the king. I'm going to make David the king. Guess what? You didn't make anybody king. God's still working all things according to the counsel of his will. And this is a man of pride. And he's basically saying, I made you the king. I'm going to make David the king. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful. I think pride is behind every sin that we do, ultimately. And so he says, I'm going to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to the house of the throne of David. Now, listen, what he's basically saying to Ishbosheth, you're through. I'm going to go to David, and I'm going to let him be the king. Now, you see the pride? He's going to let David be the king? Who already said David's going to be the king? God said David's going to be the king. So watch what he does. And so he says, I'm going to let David be the king. Now, God's going to accomplish his plan. And here's something you might not have thought about. God works his purposes even through sinful men. Now, let me just say this to you. If you keep reading, Abner's not going to make David king. He's not going to live long enough to do that. But the truth is this. God works through all of us to carry out his plans. Now, we would all say in this room that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. In fact, we sin a lot, right? Would you agree that you sin? Can God take you and use you? Is God using you to accomplish his purposes? The answer is yes. He even uses sinful people to bring about his plan. And so we're seeing that God does it. So what's this? What would you say if you were Ishbosheth? Remember, Ishbosheth's not very strong. 
In fact, Ishbosheth is weak, and Abner is really strong. So look what the next verse says. And he, that's Ishbosheth, and he could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him. I would have never wanted to be Ishbosheth. Would you? Would you want to be Ishbosheth? Would you want somebody else to make you king and he be all the power and you be scared to death and you know this guy could kill you anytime and you don't know that David's eventually going to get you anyway because his army is beating your army? I mean, you wouldn't want to be Ishbosheth. And when Abner said that to him, Ishbosheth couldn't say a word because he's afraid of him. Now, let's stop for a second. Why would Abner help David? Now, he's mad. But why would he help David? Well, there's a couple, several things. First of all, pride, he's showing what he can do. He says, I'm going to make David king. This is pride. I'll show you what I can do. I can make David king. I think the second thing is, David's already winning. And he knows that they're going to lose eventually. And I think he wants to switch sides and get on the winning side. And I want you to know this, that David, David I think he thinks deep down that if I help David become the king, when David becomes the king, He'll take care of me. Joab may be the general, but maybe I'll be another general, or maybe I'll have a, a, a responsibility. I think he's looking out for himself, and it's all pride. So watch what he does. Then Abner sent messengers to David in his place, saying, Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel over to you. Now, I want you to notice this verse, because when he says, Whose is the land? I think there's a double meaning there. Is, is Abner saying, whose is the land? Mine. I'm the one that decides who's the king. Or is he actually saying, whose is the land? And he's saying, David, you're supposed to be the king. You can't tell. We don't know what he means. And he says, I'm going to make, if you'll make a covenant with me, then I will, I will bring all of Israel over to you. Now, we know what a covenant is. A covenant is agreement in the Bible. There's a lot of covenants. There's covenants between two men. There's covenants between God and man. There's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. Usually conditional covenants between men is, if you'll do this, then I'll do this, and then make an agreement. It, between God and man, sometimes there's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. God made the conditional covenant with Israel. It says, I've given you the law. If you obey the law, I will bless you. Then there's unconditional covenants. God says, I'm going to send the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent, and he'll be the savior of the world. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give you a land, seed, and blessing. They're unconditional. Abraham didn't have to do anything. You understand that God has a covenant with mankind. That's us. And his covenant is he's going to send us a savior. And he already did, but that was his plan. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis chapter 12, the son of Abraham will bless the entire world. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says the son of David will be the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In Daniel chapter 7, he'll be the, the son of man who will have a kingdom that will never end. And in the book of, of, of Luke, that told the seed of woman of the son of Mary will be the savior and the king. In the gospel of Matthew, he is the son of God who is well-pleasing to the father. And finally, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who's coming. That's the covenant God made with us. And he says this, it's unconditional. I've sent a Savior for you. Everything is done. You receive the gift of eternal life. That's his covenant with us. All who believe in Jesus will never perish, but have 
everlasting life. Now, what does David do? He says, make a covenant with me and I'll give Israel to you. So what does David say? Verse 13, he says, good. I'll make a covenant with you, but I demand from you one thing. Now, let's stop. He says, yeah, I'll do, I'll do a covenant, but it's not going to happen until you do one thing. What is that thing? Namely, you will not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see me. Now, David has a condition. Bring his first wife back. Now, you could say, David, you already got sex. You, do you need another one? I mean, you need another woman? But he's actually saying, listen, she's actually mine, and it looks bad that my wife was taken away from me by Saul. So if you want to work this plan out and have an agreement, you got to bring my wife back to me. So it goes on in verse 14. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my, my, my wife, Michael. To, and now, watch, I want you to notice something. Uh, did I, uh, if you read the verse, don't read it too fast. It is Abner that said, Yes, and David said to him, I'll make the covenant if you give me my wife. But notice, David sent messengers to who? Look at verse 14. To Isbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, to whom I was betrothed for 104 skins of the Philistines. Isbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. David sent word to Isbosheth, Give me my original wife. And you know what he did? He said, Okay. Remember, he's not very strong. And when David sent word to him, he said, okay, so he went to this. Now, you got to remember that uh, Michael is not really married to this man that she's supposed to be with right now because she's already married to David, and Saul took her away from David and gave it to this man. So look what happens. Ishbosheth took, uh, sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish, and her husband went with her, weeping as they went and following her as far as Baharim. Then Abner said to him, go, return. So he returned. Now, I want you to notice something. Ishbosheth went and got her and said, go. And the husband was following behind, crying and saying, this is not right, this is not right. Abner, not Ishbosheth, Abner says, you go back home. He goes, okay. Because Abner's tough. Now, let me raise a question. Why would David ask for this woman? Well, first of all, would they, is, is Abner really going to help David? This will show that it'll help. Second, it shows that Abner has the power to get the woman. Well, he says, I'll get you the woman, but what if he doesn't have the power to get the woman? Third thing, David wanted her. It was a sign of his power. Saul took her away. Saul took her away. I want her back. And then fourth is having Saul's daughter showed he's taking the kingdom from Saul. So all these things are very important. They're powerful. So David says, okay. And so they bring the woman and she, and she comes. Now look, I'm going to go really quickly through these last couple of verses. In verse 17, Abner then consulted the, el uh, the elders of Israel, saying, In times past you were seeking David to be king over you, now do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people of uh, Israel from the hand of the Philistines to the hand of the enemies. Now, he went to the elders. That's all the leaders, the older people in all of the tribes. He brings them together. This is Abner, and he says, You always wanted David. God wanted David. David is going to defeat our enemies. Let's make David the king. That's what he says. And so he did that. He consulted the elders, and he said, you've always wanted David to be the king. God said David would be the king. God said he would use David to defeat the enemies. So he's got everybody connected. 
So then look at verse 19, okay? And so Abner then went to Benjamin. That was Saul's tribe. In addition, he went to David in Hebron, and everything seemed good to the house of Israel and, and to the house of Benjamin. So it looks like it's going to be really good. Every, I mean, it looks fine. And then look what happened, verse 20. Then Abner and 20 men came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be the king over all the soul, your soul desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. He says this, Let me go and gather all Israel together. Now let me just say something. God is the one that's going to put David as the king, not Abner. Let's just realize this. God's in control. God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. It's not Abner that's going to do it. Now, Abner may think he's going to do it. Abner may think he's going to unite the nation behind King David. But if you haven't read ahead, Abner's not going to live long enough to do it. Okay? So let, we'll, just, we'll just see what happens. And uh, uh, let, let me raise this question for you just for a second. What if... Everything works the way Abner says it's going to work. And Abner comes to be on David's side. Joab is there. Joab is the general. What about Abner? And then here's one other thing. Do you remember in the first battle that Abner was running and Joab's brother Ashiel ran after him? And Abner said, don't keep coming after me, Ashiel. And Ashiel said, I'm coming after you. And Abner killed him. He didn't want to, but he did. Joab will never forget that. So what's going to be like when these two men come together, if they ever come together, what's going to happen? We'll see it. Well, Abner has conflict with Ishbosheth. He's going to help David. We see the pride of Abner. We see the pride of David. He wants Michael back. He wants to control everything as well. There's a lot going on here. Let me give you some applications, and then we'll close. The first one is this. Let's deal with pride in our lives. It's there. It's behind all your sin. It's behind all my sin. If you stop and think about it, why, 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 if you're, you're in the line and somebody puts in front of you, hey, hey, you, you can't break in front of me. Why, why not? Well, because that's my spot. What? You're driving your car, somebody cuts you off, you're really mad, right? Why? Well, they got my spot. How do we feel? You know, we got to realize that pride is there and, it's, and it ultimately is in all of the problems and all of the sin. So let's deal with pride. Let's do this. Let's realize that we're fallen and we have a desire to be important, to have power, to think that we're better. Let's let another praise us, not ourselves. Let, let, let's don't look for praise. Let's seek to help others and do what we can to help. Let's follow the example of Jesus. You remember Philippians 2? Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, humbled himself to be a human being, humbled himself to be obedient to the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted by God. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled by God. We're going to see what happens to Abner. We're going to see what happens to David later on as well. The Bible says, live in humility, not in pride. All we have and all we are is by the grace of God. If God uses you, that is so wonderful. If he uses me, that's so wonderful. We can't say, look what I did. It's God taking you and using your gifts, talents, abilities that he gave you and his power that he gave you and you're used, being used by God and all you can say is, 
Thank you, Lord. It's all of you. There is no pride with us. The second application is let's know our weaknesses. We're all weak in certain areas. Every one of us. Don't say that you're not because we are. We know we are. So what we got to do? We got to draw near to God. We got to maintain our relationship and our fellowship with Him and our dependence on Him. We got to abide in Him. And we got to flee temptation. And in an area of weakness, don't even get yourself there. Get away from it. Uh, if there's an area that you know that if you get there, you're going to end up messing up, don't do it. Don't put ourselves in places we'll sin and flee if tempted. Be, be like Joseph when Potiphar's wife came after him. He ran out the door. And sometimes in our lives, we feel the temptations coming. Temptation's not sin, but it can lead to sin. So when we feel those temptations, run for our lives. Get away from it. Know what our weaknesses are. Don't get ourselves in those situations. May we learn from the lives of these men and women the whole idea of humility and not pride, seeking to draw near to God and making a difference for him because he gets all the glory.